Hey, friends. Welcome to Happy Tears! I'm Brandon. And I'm Nick, and this is Happy Tears, a podcast where two sensitive boys talk about the art that they love so much so that it often brings them to tears. Today on the podcast, two new releases, Ryan Johnson's whodunit Agatha Christie-style mystery thriller, Knives Out, and the Martin Scorsese gangster flick, The Irishman. This is Happy Tears. (laughs) Well, as always, when we start Happy Tears, we talk about recommendations of things we're watching, listening to, consuming on a daily or weekly basis. Brandon, you got anything good going on in your world? Yeah, I've been listening to this artist. He goes by Helado Negro. And I've just really been loving the album. It came out earlier in the year, and I just didn't give it too much of a shot then. Uh, but it's called This Is How You Smile. Um, I love this type of music kind of in the in the wintertime. It's a more calm, subtle album, but there's a lot a lot there. I think the production is really nice. Vocally, he reminds me of like Devandra uh, Banhart or someone like Edith Piaf, who's kind of got like this like specific vibrato to her voice that I think he has as well. But it's really nice. I've been playing it a lot in the past couple of weeks. So, is there a particular track? Yeah, that the first track on here, "Please Won't Please." I think he even said. Uh, I listened to some interviews with him on uh, Bandcamp Weekly. They do a really great job at interviewing artists and um, kind of going through the tracks that they're talking about and stuff. So uh, he kind of says that this. I think the first track kind of sums up. There's like pieces of the whole album. In terms of like thematically and sonically, that in the first track, that uh, that is why he started with with that one. He felt like it was a kind of summation of what the album was about. So it's really nice. Excellent. I'll check it out. Please do. You should add it to the uh, the playlist on Spotify. I will do that. I've been really trying to hammer away at uh, seeing as many films of the last decade, yeah, uh, as I can before 2020 hits. Recently, uh, you know, so as I've stated. Trying to catch up with blind spots, but really also trying to revisit movies that I loved or that the general public loved that maybe uh, I think are worth revisiting. Uh, just last week, I watched Moonlight for the first time since theaters, mm-hmm. and I just love that movie. I think it's an absolute triumph of filmmaking, telling the story of a young gay black man in a community that isn't mine. You know, like it's it's such a um, a wonderful exploration of masculinity and sexuality and economics and fatherhood and you know just there's there's so many wonderful things about this movie and uh definitely one of my favorite movies of the last 10 years i think one of the most important movies and uh it's just great hopefully when we do our decade in review i can think of better things more interesting things to say but it is a really great movie <laughs> Cool. You want to talk a little bit about what, you know, we talked about the decade and movies, uh, maybe some of the things we have coming up. Yeah. So because it is late in the year, this is typically the time where the films that are vying for Oscar and award season relevance start coming out. Mm -hmm. So like today, The Irishman is one of those movies that, that we'll be discussing. Other ones that are coming in the near future, we're, we're doing Marriage Story. Correct. We have talked about trying to get uncut gems in there. Mm -hmm. So we're going to try to get in these last couple big release movies, potential award nominees covered in the next couple weeks, along with we just last week released our best of 2019 in music episode, bonus Mm -hmm. episode. We were going to do a bunch more bonus content like that. So we are going to do our best movies of 2019. That's why we're trying to wrap up a bunch of these other loose ends of these new releases so that we can have as full of a a scope of, you know, the actual films that came out in 2019. We want to get those late entries included. And then we talked about doing TV and books and all the, you know, we talked about comic books and stuff on this podcast also. Right. We we basically decided to lump those all into one. So we're going to do our best other content. So it'll be our favorite TV shows and seasons of TV 
uh, along with our favorite books released this year, video games if if we played anything interesting, and and yeah. So the next couple of weeks are going to include a lot of the best of 2019, just like we just released the music episode. And then in January, and maybe even into February, depending on how the schedule works, yeah, we are going to start going through our best of the decade, the 2010s. They, I wish they had a cooler name, you know? It was a lot easier in the 1900s. Mm-hmm. The 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 10s? Even just the 2000s makes yeah. it's a nicer thing to say. Right. So the 2010s. Anywho, uh, same thing. We're going to do individual conversations about our favorite movies of the decade. We're still trying to figure out a little bit of the format of those discussions and how we're going to go about it. We have built a, uh, a questionnaire, a little survey, <laughs> about uh, the favorite movies and uh, things related to movies of the decade. I'm going to put a little thought into maybe doing that for music and, and other stuff, too. I think that's pretty much ready to go out, so I guess we'll link to that in the show notes and uh, start blasting that on social media. And they're fun questions about the best movie year of the decade or your favorite new actor of the last 10 years, you know, the best director that rose to prominence specifically in the decade of the 2010s. And so we're going to have those same discussions about movies, music, and again, our other, the the TV, the books, the comic books, video games, etc. So those are all coming your way in the next week's and months. Hurrah. Hurrah. Huzzah. Did you mention Watchmen? I haven't mentioned Watchmen, but I've been watching it. <laughs> yeah, stoked for it. That's uh, another one that we'll be covering coming mm-hmm. up and been loving loving that. Yeah. there. I'm surprised at the, the decision to release so much new TV late in the year during the holiday season. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Watchmen's on at the end of its run now mm-hmm. the witcher comes out in a couple of weeks all of these things i think we're going to try to cover mandalorian yeah is another one seems like an interesting time to choose to release new television just because of all of the new films that are well yeah and just who has the time in the holidays to watch well i guess maybe people have time off i don't know maybe that's i don't know marvelous miss Maisel makes a little sense to me because i kind of feel like it it's a you know holiday time experience or something. Yeah, I mean, I feel like most of the seasons take place in the summer, though, right? They were in the Hamptons last year. Yeah, but maybe just the, uh, I don't know. There is, I will say, there is something about New York that is Christmassy, just, yeah, you know, like... For sure. Even aside from Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. <laughs> even aside. <laughs> um, you know what I have been watching? Tangent. Here it comes. Uh-oh. Uh, have you ever watched the documentary series on Netflix called The Toys That Made Us? I have maybe seen an episode of that. I think it's really interesting. I like it a lot. And it's, you know, individual episodes about yeah. Legos and Star Wars and G.I. Joe and Barbie and right. all these iconic toys. The same producers or the same people made a new series called The Movies That Made Us. And it's like behind the scenes stories of how they made there's only four episodes and it's ghostbusters home alone dirty dancing and another giant movie that i'm forgetting but i've watched them all now yeah and uh they're good they're fun they're like 45 minutes but it's just like how the script was written how it got made all of the oh it's die hard is the last one and all the uh production woes they went through it's fun so there's that love it another fun thing i did uh was i made and i think i'm gonna start doing this and it happened to be, I was just trying to do like some songs I love this year, just write them out. And it came out to like 25 and then I was like trying to squeeze a few more in and I was like, well. So this is on paper? Yes. Okay. And I'm like, I think I'm going to do every year around my birthday, because it's the 29th of December, so it's the end of the year. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do the number, like this is 28, I'm turning 28, so this is 28 songs I love this year. Yeah. And then post them as a Spotify playlist playlist or whatever i'm using at 50 and uh and just make it a tradition that's cool my so i have a a good friend uh he actually contributed to our um best music of 2019 podcast he sent in a a voice message uh chad kersky is a good friend and mentor of mine and uh in the last couple of years he just turned 40 and he he went back and did like 40 out al- like the best 40 albums that have come out in every year of his lifetime. So he wow. went back to the year he was born, listened to like all the best music, yeah. picked his favorite the very next year, the very next year. <laughs> he's uh 
That's really quite cool. the audio file, and uh, he's often doing cool things like that. So I support you because that's very <laughs> Chad Kursky of you. Thank um, you. Yeah, um, I um, my birthday is nine days after yours, and I'll be turning thirty. Mm-hmm. And I've been trying to think of um, how to commemorate it in terms of. I thought about doing thirty movies that like made me who I am, or you know, yeah. whatever, but or music or albums. I don't know. Maybe I'll do nothing. That's more the most. Likely. You can do just thirty. You know, pieces of they could be a mix of all of them. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. The thirty, 30. Pe- media mm-hmm. things. Media yeah. that made you. Media that made you. I don't know. Art. More than like, more likely, I'll do nothing and just be sad. <laughs> Any uh, happy tears this week? No. <laughs> um, How about you? I had a creeping for sure. I was uh, booked this little series at a a local. Uh, spot music series where a couple artists play it's like an acoustic kind of showcase or whatever and one of the artists covered these days by jackson brown and it's like i just think one of the best songs and literally every time i hear it i think the lyrics are just perfect and i always get emotional when i hear the song no matter who's like saint vincent does a pretty awesome cover of it and then even like he has a he has a really cool live album Jackson Brown does, and uh, he does an acoustic like live performance of that. That's really really nice too. So so good. Yeah, I mean even that go you know tying that back to our previous conversation of just like songs that make you who you are, or songs that are important to you over the course of a lifetime. Interesting, but that's nice. He had some creeping tears. Yeah, maybe even a little bit more. <laughs> maybe I'm not underestimating. <laughs> <laughs> trying to understand yeah. that's funny the the podcast that's all about being emotionally vulnerable and like crying but we still like, i was just we still like uh you know it was just a little bit yeah i had to keep it cool you can't have like the person who books you sitting there like crying at your song Katie. that's funny that's a good point <laughs> i gotta keep my composure <laughs> gotta be cool man right, 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 right be cool be cool for sure well that's um, great yeah i say we move on to the topics of the day are you baiting me, detective? Attempting to be thorough so we can figure out the manner of death. You mean if someone killed him? <laughs> you think one of us, one of his family, Walt, Walt. killed him? Mr. Blanc, I just buried my father who committed suicide. Why are you here? I suspect foul play. I have eliminated no suspects. So first up today is Knives Out, new film by Ryan Johnson. Starring everyone in Hollywood. Ooh, great cast. (laughs) Yeah, you should see who I got for this movie. It's everyone. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's a great cast. Anna DeArmas, Chris Evans, uh, Tony Collette. Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon. Daniel Craig. Of course, Keith Stanfield, my favorite actor. Mm -hmm. All the people. And more. It is a Agatha Christie-style mystery whodunit thriller. And here's a description of the film. From Letterboxd. Cool. When renowned crime novelist Harlan Thornby is found dead at his estate just after his 85th birthday, the inquisitive and debonair detective Benoit Blanc is mysteriously enlisted to investigate. From Harlan's dysfunctional family to his devoted staff, Blanc sifts through the web of red herrings and self-serving lies to uncover the truth behind Harlan's untimely death. Ooh. This movie surprised me with how all over the place it was in terms of when I think of Agatha Christie style thriller, I kind of think of like a movie like Clue, which is they're all at the house and it all takes place in like one evening. This movie spreads its wings a little more. It's over a couple of days. It's multiple locations. Yeah, but most of it is stationed in the house. Like the house definitely plays a, even just the way it's styled, it feels like a character in and of itself. Self. For sure, absolutely. Um, but overall thoughts, Nick. What? So it's been about two weeks since I've seen this movie. Uh, I did enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna start with this because mm-hmm. it was my biggest issue with the movie, mm-hmm. and I know I'm coming out of the gate real hard, but it, I couldn't get past it. Mm-hmm. Was Daniel Craig's mm-hmm. stupid fucking accent? <laughs> it's supposed to be though. I guess <laughs> that's a part. Isn't that? I feel like that's part of his character, right? I mean, they they make fun of it in the movie. Like it's they do. It's him being over the top, right? But it was so cartoonish that every time he spoke, I rolled my eyes and was annoyed. When he's the person really driving 
we're seeing we're pretty much seeing it through his lens and through Anna De, I guess more Anna de Armas, but do you feel that way about Frank Underwood? No. And so that's that's something I was thinking about was was like I don't mind Daniel Craig doing an accent on a technical level. It sounds fine. It sounds legitimate. Mm-hmm. You know, like like a it sounds like Foghorn Leghorn. Mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to gently request that you all stay in town until the investigation is completed. There's nothing wrong with the actual accent in his his performance of it. I don't agree with the choice. Gotcha. Or I think it was too extreme of a choice. Do a southern accent, but don't go that cartoonish with it because it just bugged me. Yeah, I thought it added to the like satirical nature of the film and i thought them calling it out in the film was was pretty hilarious as well yeah the csi kfc line was stupid i hated it from the tra- the trailer <laughs> if you didn't see it in the trailer would you still hate it yeah i didn't like chris evans delivery on it it was too dumb <laughs> <laughs> wow all right but i was thinking like if john goodman had played that part mm-hmm. i bet i would have been all about the accent so i don't know if it's something weird with with what you already see, Dan, what Daniel Craig already right. is to you. Yeah, that makes sense. If, if he's like too handsome and too James Bond in my mind to to pull off being this kind of over-the-top cartoonish character. Yeah. I don't know. It's definitely my problem, not the movie's problem, <laughs> but I did. It, it's yeah, it's something that it was like I was just smashing my head against it the entire movie. Well, maybe on your second viewing... You will smash your head less. I hope so. And I had intended for that to be before we did this recording, but here we are. Massage your head. <laughs> It'll feel nice. Up. All right. Well, so, besides that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So as, aside from the one big thing that constantly was taking me out of the experience, I do think this movie is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I think all the acting, despite the choice of that accent, yeah. which I'll set aside and not not be harping on it this whole time i think all the acting's pretty good mm-hmm. i would have liked a little more ensemble throughout the whole movie i think you get a lot up front mm-hmm. and then you you kind of break away with the main character who i was surprised to find was uh anna de armas yep her character marta is the is the main character really yeah i really really liked her in blade runner 2049 yeah really anytime i've seen her on screen i find her interesting for sure and so i was really glad that she got uh, a more lead role and i thought she was excellent in this film yeah i thought it was a kind of pitch perfect performance for her and what her character represents in the movie i definitely thought they balanced the fun with the more serious and just the satire i just think it was all balanced well throughout the film and but in particular, I thought she was fantastic. Yeah. I think as a whole, the movie kind of keeps you guessing on what's coming next, which you don't see this type of movie made that often. Yeah, I wish there was more for sure. I do too. Although I think there is, it is kind of a weird thing because you are, you know you know what he's, what they're trying to do, which yeah. is pull one over on the audience. You know, like, mm-hmm. oh, but here's who did it and here's why you didn't know that. You know, so it is an interesting kind of, push and pull or cat and mouse game between the the storyteller and the audience right one thing that i felt as i was watching it was was all right i'm tired of i'm tired of trying to figure this out just just tell me the ending like (laughs) like i i think i i did sort of lose my patience with it by the end even though and i don't want to get spoilery Mm -hmm. but about halfway through the the movie there is a big reveal and then there's i mean there's still mystery elements all the way to the end right on how certain events occur did you have any experience no i i feel i feel like i was i was all in i really i I thought it was paced really well i like the um it's funny yeah i I just i love the ensemble cast here and i feel like you get even though you don't get a ton of time with each character you get a good sense of what they're like what their intentions are like you talked about the, the kind of reveal in the middle i think it kind of flips the genre on its head a little bit and did something interesting for sure and then same thing with uh the characters like you know not all of them are exactly what you thought they would be and the result is i think also telling and very interesting what he's trying to say so that was a vague way of doing it so i don't 
get into spoiler territory, but yeah. One thing I, I heard was that he kind of, a lot of this process, the movie process happened quickly because it had to. So he got like Daniel Craig on board first and it, he wasn't even going to be able to, but Bond got pushed back some. Mm. And um, so yeah, he, he got him uh, with the short time. So like between when they got him, they had like six weeks to do everything. Wow. <laughs> or like, was it six weeks to prepare to get going maybe it was like six weeks once they knew that before oh. filming they had everything to like assemble the cast and all this stuff so once he was on uh he's, he said a lot of people just said yes after <laughs> after daniel craig so it was like one of those things it's like oh it's daniel craig and now it's daniel craig and michael shannon and now it's so i thought that was pretty pretty interesting and chosen and pretty incredible cast and it seemed like they it seemed like they had fun making making the film too like it's a very uh fun there's some fun a lot of fun scenes between characters and as like as a whole when they're in arguments and stuff like that that pretty funny i just thought it was one of the funnier films i've seen in a long time so yeah i, I did enjoy it and it's called knives out which is a great radiohead song and i listened to it <laughs> and i listened to a podcast and it seems as if he got the title from the Radiohead song, which the song is not in the movie. But I was like, oh, that's interesting. And he said, like, the Turner phrase, Knives Out, he thought it was interesting from from the song. So he, he had it in his back pocket and used it, I'm which sure, I'm about. I, I was about to say, I'm sure that made you very happy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, Ryan, good job, bud. I do want to touch on one thing that you already said, and you were very vague about it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be a little more direct, but still try to avoid cool. spoilers. But I, I think it's worth discussing that this is a fun whodunit mystery story, but there is a, a pretty deeply seated political statement being made. I think the way that that is executed is absolutely wonderful. What we learn as the movie gets going, that, that our main character, the person that we're sitting with as the audience, is Marta. Mm-hmm. And she is essentially this rich author's caretaker like care, yeah it's interesting seeing you know the i i, I happen to have been listening to film spotting's review of this movie mm-hmm. right before i got here <laughs> and one thing they talked about was just the classism that's throughout this whole movie right mm-hmm. how they really never let her forget that she's not part of the family and that everyone is cordial with her generally speaking right but she is constantly be re- being reminded that she is other you know, the the ongoing joke of nobody in this rich family can remember what country she's from. They all think it's a different country. Right. The story that this movie is telling about the working class and a little bit about immigration and a little bit about privilege is not... I mean, th- there are times where it is talked about. There's even a scene where they're discussing actual politics. Yeah. It's funny because this came out like... I saw this on Thanksgiving Day, and it's like, <laughs> right. it seems like a that particular scene is like a Thanksgiving dinner politics discussion played out, which yes. I think is funny and makes this for a kind of funny holiday film. But totally, there are times where it's the, where the politics is discussed, mm-hmm. but it's also not beating you over the head. Oh no! It. And I think it does a really smart thing by not letting anyone off the hook. I'll just put it that way and um no matter which side of the political spectrum you fall on yeah if you have something that's um no matter how progressive someone might seem they have something that's seems like it's being quote-unquote taken away from them or whatever greed could be a monster in anyone so i guess it's worth mentioning a little bit more about the plot in that in the opening scene of this movie yeah this patriarch dies Mm -hmm. thus begins a a family power struggle over who gets what yeah that that's for sure important and so we're kind of thrown into these family dynamics of arguments and people taking sides yeah and us seeing this movie through marta's eyes where Mm -hmm. she is in some ways part of this family but in in you know constantly being reminded that she is not a blood relative, right? Yeah. And so um, just seeing those moments of greed and the not-so-nice sides of family at times. Right, right. They're just really nice dynamics, and uh, he's able to do great things with it, I think. Yeah. So so just going a little bit more into her character, I just think that's one of the main reasons this movie works is because, you know, the empathy you have for the main character, it's not just all kind of mystery and and fun and i think there's 
moments in it that pull you in and, and are executed really well with Marta. So, and we we've already said it, but I'm just gonna say again that I think from an acting standpoint, she just knocks it out of the park. Yeah, you know, there's an ongoing gag with her <laughs> and a certain reflex that she has. Yeah, around lying. Yeah, I think it's a really fun character trait. It's a good, yeah. funny ongoing gag. For sure, but it's 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 also a uh, just a a great element to this story because of the way in which it plays throughout the actual plot. It works really well, and it plays out in surprising ways, and it's just a really funny uh, component that that works for sure. Well, I, I think. For this type of movie, I know it's been out for a little while, but I think we're not even going to bother doing a, like a spoiler warning and talking about the ending. I think for something like this, people should just go out and see it. Yep. I'll just say that it definitely works for me, and I love the the way it plays out and the final the final scene. And I think, yeah, I just I wish more movies came out that kind of had, well, really just in this style, but also that they were fun and, and just really walk that tightrope of humor, the suspense, and being thematically rich as well. So I think this um the style of the who done it is is typically fun, but there's also I guess in the past it's like maybe harder to get invested in the characters because it all seems like they're more like clue pieces like you know <laughs> they're these over <laughs> larger than life, not actually real people yeah or they're yeah they're just like pieces of the puzzle almost you know like they're or just kind of pawns and in the story and the story is what matters because that's what you're you're waiting for the reveal at the end or whatever and um sometimes that can maybe come off as just kind of like a cheap thrills or without really having much to say or characters to to love or whatever but yeah i think this film just kind of has has it all i guess another strong point was just i I love the set i love the set pieces Mm -hmm. all of the rooms in this house the house really feels alive in this uh character uh, of its own and i find that really fun too it's nice to look at and some of those things come into play uh in the in the story as well so a movie like this that's got this you know that Obviously, it's going to end in a twist, and and everyone's what you're trying to do is figure that out as as yeah. you go, right? I think one. I I really wish I could have gotten back to see it a second time before we did this, just because because of that structure with the twist at the end. Going into it a second time, knowing that, knowing how it ends, you're going to look at this whole film and it with a different light for sure. And I'm sure there's little Easter eggs or small reveals throughout that you, of course, that are. Uh, You'll notice on a second time for sure. Yeah. Did you have any happy tears from this film? I did. Hey oh. Uh they they came at a time I think it's because I was not expecting the scene. There's a scene with Anna when you know uh that the consequences of what she's done might be severe and Well, she comes to a realization, I think, in in a particular moment mm-hmm. where there's no turning back from <clears throat> A path that's been set. Right. And then her recognizing that plus just the physicality of her kind of scrambling. Yeah, it's just an empathizing thing. What you imagine is going through her head and how she acts it out, I think, was just powerful. So I was kind of heartbroken during one particular scene there. So it's a good moment. It's a good movie. No happy tears for me. (laughs) Recommend it. Go see it. Yeah, definitely. I think anyone could enjoy it, too. So for sure. Highly recommended from from the squad. From the squad. <laughs> squad of two. Well, now I'm a man. I want you to meet my cousin, Russell Buffalino. How are you? Hi, nice to meet you. It was like the army. You followed orders. You did the right thing. You got rewarded. I'm a man. A friend of ours is having a little trouble. A friend at the top. Back then, there was nobody in this country who didn't know who Jimmy Hoffa was. You got a gun! Get the gun out of his hand! You always charge a guy with a gun. With a knife, you run away. So you charge with a gun, with a knife, you run. So next up, we have The Irishman by Martin Scorsese. It's a gangster movie from someone who's no stranger to them. Starring actors who are no stranger to (laughs) him as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just going to do a brief uh, description here from Letterboxd. So here it is. Pennsylvania, 1956. Frank Sheeran, 
a war veteran of Irish origin who works as a truck driver, accidentally meets mobster Russell Buffalino. Once Frank becomes his trusted man, Buffalino sends him to Chicago with the task of helping Jimmy Hoffa, a powerful union leader related to organized crime, with whom Frank will maintain a close relationship for nearly 20 years. So it's kind of a epic, epically long <laughs> uh, saga that, that covers, you know, decades. Who we follow the main character here, uh, played by Robert De Niro, and um, his relationships with uh, Joe Pesci's character and Al Pacino's character. General thoughts here, or should I go first? Maybe you should go first. <laughs> That's a good idea. Well, a lot of people are calling um, this kind of like a farewell film and away from, uh, you know, a director who's getting older and probably doesn't have many films left to also a farewell kind of to his participation in this uh, gangster genre. And I think that's one of the most interesting things about it because it feels different from his previous gangster movies. Uh, there is definitely a different tone in this. It's slower. It's much more reflective. Um, it's uh, looking back and saying like what I don't know. It feel it. It feels more kind of haunted and it's not fun at all. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it feels like there's a lot of bad that's happening and there's consequences for those bad things. And this is the life of someone who chooses that path. I thought it was executed really well. I thought there was, I mean, there's definitely some issues I have, but I think that the acting from Joe Pesci and Al Pacino are both really great. I did like the relationships in this movie, but I think most of what you get from it is I don't find any of the characters like particularly lovable. I think there's decent things about them, but I think the film does its job in showing kind of the depravity and thing and and ruined relationships that occur because of greed and and mobster mentality and all of those things. Even within this kind of like brotherhood, there's so much lost with obviously the terrible things they're doing, but also within their own families and stuff. So mm. I found all of that powerful and i thought the storytelling was really good i'll let you go before i talk about any 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 <laughs> bad things i had with it or whatever well okay so i thought this movie was fine <laughs> i think what i texted you after was like i don't know if i get scorsese <laughs> and and what i mean by that is some of his films that are constantly being discussed as masterpieces these beloved films taxi driver this a lot of people like Mean Streets a lot. We, we talked about The King of Comedy, which I liked mm -hmm. overall. But like, th there's a lot of Scorsese films I just don't get. I, I I don't understand the appeal. I don't understand why they're interesting. I mean, the big the big one is Taxi Driver, mm -hmm. Raging Bull. Even I, I it's been a long time since I've seen Raging Bull. But just using Taxi Driver as the example is is I don't like that movie. It's it's I don't find that character interesting. And not that if the character's not interesting, then for me, I I need the plot to be interesting of a film. Mm -hmm. I didn't get that from that. That's that's a little bit of how I felt about this movie. None of these three guys are particular. I guess the the biggest character I guess is Pacino's Jimmy Hoffa, mm -hmm. right? He's he's just this as opposed to Joe Pesci, who's normally screaming mm -hmm. <laughs> in a movie, and yeah, and he's more subdued in this for sure. Very subdued. Um, a lot of real subtle. I think he's really great in this, yeah. I, I do agree with that. I, I think that Joe Pesci's great. But, yeah, so so one of my issues with this, along with a lot of, of Scorsese's movies, is I don't find the subject matter or the characters particularly interesting. So if, if, if that's not what's drawing me in, then I'm hoping the plot is particularly exciting or mm. interesting. All I can say is it was just fine. It seemed like a straightforward... The plot of... All right, here's the mob. Well, what do we know that's going to happen in a mob movie? Somebody's going to cross somebody. Somebody's many people are going to get killed. Yeah, but I thought the yeah, I just I felt like the tone and and the um the way it portrayed some of these things never it, I think yeah, I just thought it was very clear how it how it went about it's uh the kind of destruction of the that the characters bring about and not not so much in maybe other gangster films. There's there's like a enticing quality of in, in other gangster films I've watched that makes things seem exciting even though they're destructive or whatever. I mean, a great example for me is one of the few 
Scorsese films that I definitely know I really like a lot is Goodfellas, right? Yeah. Very, at least early on in that movie, it really romanticizes this life. Yeah. And I think that's what you're getting at, right? It's yeah. It's like, this is not a romantic vision at all. Right. This is a very stark, sad... Yeah, I think... I mean, a device that's used in it is like the little kind of the text that pops up and kind of captions people's lives or often deaths. Yeah, I mean, most um, of the people, the first time we meet them, we get like a freeze frame, right? Mm-hmm. And, it, and it'll say, you know, here's this person's name. They die in 1992 from three shots to the head or, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. A couple of them live long lives, but very, yeah, and they're, very few. <laughs> and a lot of times there's like energy in those moments of need, meeting new people, but that's uh, they're like really sobering facts that are on and it's like this person's expendable this part like i think a lot of those types of things in the in the film kind of put it into perspective and there's just like the movie making element of it that i find fascinating specifically like i was saying the these actors together but i just think that for being a three hour and 30 minute movie it held it held my attention even even though it's very um yeah it, it pulled me in because i think some of the slower bits it's not like there's not a bunch of exciting uh, moments, but I did right. feel in- invested in in the story, I guess. And I think I like the the narration bits that kind of help you along because there's a there's a lot of time shifting that I think is absolutely done really well. I but I mean, we could talk about they use the de aging technology in this, and that's yeah. one of the reasons that this is a Netflix film was because they were the ones that provided the budget for that right i don't think it particularly works super well it's okay i think the main thing i have is that robert de niro's character never seems young physically and that's the Abs- hard- yes yeah a hundred percent you nailed it <laughs> it's it looks like a young face on an old guy body yeah and it's it's just stiff and shoulders are stiff <laughs> there's and- there's a particular scene early where Robert De Niro's character finds out that the grocer of the neighborhood, like... Yeah, touched his daughter. T- t- yeah, like 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 pushed her or something. Mm-hmm. Like, she, she did something in the grocery store or whatever. Yeah. And he goes down, and he beats this guy up, and it's a lot of, like, kicking him <laughs> while he's on the ground, and it just looks very fake. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it looks like an old man's trying to... It just, it just doesn't look like a guy in his 30s or 40s is beating the shit out of someone. Right, it's, it, right. It's very clear. The actual look of their faces, mm-hmm. it's not. It's pretty good. I mean, you're definitely looking for it right at the beginning. I think as the movie went out, went on, I sort of forgot about it. There's only a couple times it's like, oh, that, that looks a little fake. But, yeah, and I wonder if it's because we know Robert De Niro's face as a young, like uh, during that, like when he was that age, <laughs> right. um, that it just, it looks off because it's not how he looked and so it's i don't know i think that's a part of it too maybe if they you know if an older actor was cast that we we didn't see when they were that age or weren't so familiar with right it might be a little bit different but but i did find that to be um distracting in parts specifically just the physicality of some of um when he was supposed to be younger another thing that i think is working against this movie is you know that it's three and a half hours long before it starts. Mm-hmm. Obviously, with all films, you can look up a runtime, but especially mm-hmm. on, on a Netflix release where it's right there when you press play. Yeah, um, and it was a thing that it was talked about pretty heavily before. Right, was how long this movie was. It's very long. It worked against it for me because there were a couple times I paused it to go to the bathroom, and it's like, what? <laughs> I'm only a third of the way through. <laughs> Yeah, but at least you got to pause it and go to the bathroom, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, one thing that struck me is, is you know, we're following Frank as he kind of uh, becomes part of this gangster mob lifestyle. Mm-hmm. As the only, like, non-Italian or Jewish person, he's he is the Irishman, right? He's mm-hmm. like the, there isn't an Irish mob that I, that I know of. <laughs> at least not in this film. We spent a long time with him as Joe Pesci's guy, right? His go-to guy, enforcer, guy that gets shit done. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I mean, it's an hour and a half before Al Pacino even makes an appearance, right? I mean, it's a long time, or at least felt like a long time to me. I don't, th- yeah, I don't think it's that long because because oh, okay. he goes through. Um, I mean, it is he does come later for sure, but there's a lot that happens with his character that I feel like is 
pretty like in the middle of this movie. Yeah. Um, and we already know a, a bit about them before that happens. So, I mean, maybe an hour into it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I kind of lost track. The only time I kind of noticed the time was maybe like two and a half to three hours, like that kind of point. Um, but if you view this as like a episodic, you know, four part TV miniseries or something like that, either you're just watching through. I don't know if you'd view it differently or what. Maybe. I mean, and our friend Jake did tell me that I think someone on Reddit like made a guided like, hey, watch from this time code to this time code. And that, like they, they broke it up into like, I think four parts and said, yeah. if you want to break it up, here's how you should do it. And I, if I had more time, I probably would have done that. That's cool. Because one sitting was just too much for me. For, again, characters that I'm not that interested in a plot that's also not that interesting to me. That's the thing is I just, there was nothing about this film that got me excited. And I guess that's not the point. Yeah. And maybe that's why I say I maybe just don't get Scorsese or maybe he's just not the the filmmaker for me. Because the movies that he has made that I love are the exciting, intense ones, right? Mm-hmm. Goodfellas is a very sexy, mm-hmm. a very romanticized gangster film. I mean, they all get what's coming to them in the end, mm-hmm. but it's a very exciting film. The Departed is one of my favorite films, and that that movie, there's so much suspense, and there's a lot of, it's a tightrope act between these interesting characters and this interesting circumstance. And so I struggled with, with this one because it is it is very long. The acting is all good. There, all of the technical elements are fine mm-hmm. to me. I think maybe it's just that I'm, I am looking for a different type of entertainment when I go to the movies or when I'm watching but i'm not sure yeah it could just be his flavor is not for you maybe <laughs> or only sometimes for you maybe right. it's like a a rainbow sherbet and only some of the <laughs> <laughs> colors you really got to be in the right mood <laughs> and only certain colors are i don't even remember are there different there's different flavors for the i know i don't know like lime is, yeah i know that, that <laughs> they make sherbet that is you know, the green one's like a lime, mm-hmm. red, orange one's an orange. But right. the actual rainbow sherbet, is that all one flavor that they've just colored differently? Yeah. Or is it, or does each... Yeah. Well, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more about what you liked about this. I mean, like... I, I think I'm just more, like, fascinated by what Scorsese is able to capture, even if it's not exciting. Like, it all feels real and... And a lot of these things are, you know, things I'm not particularly familiar with. So that part is interesting just to learn about these relationships. And this is based off of a book that is supposedly a mostly true story. Like, I guess there's a lot of um, kickback on whether Frank's character is telling the truth about what he actually has done and stuff like that. But either way, this is based off a true person. And yeah, I, I find... Like a lot of the the interactions and like relationships, like I was saying, I think the dialogue uh, feels really natural and is delivered by these actors really well. I think I think a part of it, there's a little bit of element of just like I was kind of saying earlier about the farewell nature of this, of like having all these people together, kind of legends together, right. and this being like their farewell piece or whatever. That and just the tone of it I think fits that sort of farewell nature really really well so those are the I think things that work really well for me I, I appreciated his his relationship with his daughter which I think some people might not um, and have a maybe an issue with but I think it fits the character and the consequences feel real there I don't know I was sad because <laughs> because of uh, the way that starts and is is kind of shown a little bit throughout the film but I do think there is an interesting element in that relationship. This idea that his daughter Peggy, I believe. Yes. This idea that his daughter Peggy is maybe the only person in Frank's life that really sees him for what he is. Yeah. You know, and Joe Pesci's character, right? There's a scene in a bowling alley where Joe... There's several scenes where Joe Pesci wants Frank's kids to like him. He doesn't have kids of his own. Mm-hmm. And Peggy specifically, she's just not having it. She's a little kid. She's scared She's scared of Joe Pesci's character. And I think she's scared of her dad. And mm-hmm. especially... Well, especially after that scene at the grocer where he beats the shit out of the, out of the grocer, right? right? And so... It is interesting as the story is told from Frank's perspective throughout the whole, you know, the whole way through. Yeah. The only time we kind of see 
another person's outlook is when we're in a scene with her, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's showing it's showing that she kind of sees that he's a monster. He's that he doesn't even really recognize, right? And so, right. so that is something that is kind of interesting about this film is that this guy goes through his whole life without remorse really, right? There's mm-hmm. there there is a scene. So I I will say that the last Despite it being very long, the last 45 minutes or so of this movie is, to me, the most interesting, even if it's not exciting and, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Most of these guys end up either, if they're not dead, getting locked up for a long time. And and there is a... uh, there's an interesting dynamic between Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro's characters as they are growing old mm-hmm. that is humanizing in some ways and, and really interesting. You, you, you really start, as they are approaching death, mm-hmm. actually start reflecting on their lives. That's, that's where you get some of the most interesting takeaways from the movie, I yeah. think. And uh, there's a particular scene where Frank, Robert De Niro's character, is talking to the priest about remorse and about the things he's done. And he just can't seem to – he just doesn't – he's just not so, – he is like this kind of sociopath. And it's just interesting that the daughter was the only one that really saw it the whole way through, I think. But I had to wait three hours just to get to that, what I thought was the most interesting part of the movie. But <laughs> does that three – does like that part – is it interesting if we don't understand what happened before it or no but does it need to be 3 hours some i'm sure there are people that i have heard argue that if you had to cut a scene they don't they don't know what they would have cut mm-hmm. i'm not going to speculate cuz i haven't put any thought to it but yeah i don't it's tough because it's like we give tv shows any sort of range from like a few hours to however long it takes to tell their story. And is it, you know, is a legitimate critique that it, that a piece of media is too, too long. Like it's, it's meant for one sitting and and in the past it's always, there's a template that we're used to. But if it was, if this was a mini series, do you think you would feel that way? I guess is maybe not. I mean, it's, it's tough because it's not presented as that. I, I understand. Right. And, and, Aside from the length, I still wasn't that into it the whole way through. It was fine. I was never fully out of it. I wasn't just straight up bored. I wasn't on my phone. If you want to make something long, by all means make a miniseries. But I'm trying to think of one three and a half hour movie that I'm just like, yes, let's go watch that. Yeah. What are some of the, epi- like, how long is Lawrence of Arabia? Four plus hours, I think. Wow. But with an, I assume an intermission when they showed it. I imagine so. I think there was. Same with, like, Ben-Hur. It's another one. I don't know. I do want to revisit this movie because I'm sure there are things that I'm missing. I'm sure there's value in a second viewing. But the length is a is a hurdle for that, for yeah. sure. Especially right now with so many new movies coming out. Right. Things to watch, TV, all that. Maybe you uh, try the, the Reddit cut. <laughs> Maybe I will. That's Re- not a bad idea. And just see if we um, kind of think about each episode or whatever yeah. a little bit yeah overall thoughts did you have happy tears at any point i don't remember having having them but i i will say just to add another thing i think there's some humor in this that um kind of cuts through how serious of a film it is a little bit and brought like there's a even just at the ve- very beginning the part about the <laughs> not smoking in the car i thought played out in a, a funny way and then there's a fish <laughs> scene I forgot the about the fish thing. Uh, kind of ridiculous and funny. So yeah, but in, in terms of the happy tears, I don't think so. I I probably just got emotional at, at just the situation of the the daughter and her. Mainly, I think not particular scene, but more of like thinking about that relationship and what like her side of the story. And there is a scene later on, with like a, with the adult Peggy, that I think is emotional. And then, and I don't think he even like he doesn't feel it, but I, <laughs> I feel it. You know what right. I mean. So and more of just like you, this is what you missed for this other thing and why and that kind of stuff. So yeah, but no, I don't think any particular scene that brought me to tears. Yeah, none, none for me either. Really, this movie makes me feel bad because it makes me feel like I don't know how to watch movies because <laughs> everyone that I've talked to loves it. I think. Uh, well, one, you totally have your right to your own opinion there, but I, I wonder, like, I think a lot of people that truly, really love it also have been covering a lot of film, and this is something special, more than just, like, 
another film for them. This means a lot in their lives as well. And they've grown up with a lot of Scorsese and um, a lot of these movies more than they were like really a part of our lives, I think. I see. I don't know. It seems that way. It seems it almost similar to Tarantino, although I feel a little more that we're connected to Tarantino's work, but like just like the legacy part of it is along with these actors coming together. Like all the all of that I think plays a part. I, I'm wondering if it was the same story without those, like this is mid career for him. This is it's normal for these actors to get together, that kind of stuff. If people would truly love it as much but right. specifically like film critics and people who are just involved with film and films a big part of their career and their lives and stuff but yeah does that make sense for sure i still want to get it and <laughs> and like it i want to be part of the club <laughs> well i'm sure there's a a different club that's doesn't <laughs> like it yeah maybe i mean definitely among most like movie lovers that i know especially people that work in the film industry like are all about it Mm-hmm. And so it it does make me think I'm missing something, and maybe I am. I mean, I, and that's fine. Yeah, but I don't just. It was fine. <laughs> it was fine. I'm a bummer. Well, if you had to, you know, binary yes no, put a stamp on it. You recommend it? Would you say yes? Yeah, I think so. I think I I would definitely recommend. I don't think it'll end up being in. Well, we'll see. I still have a lot of movies left to to watch this year. But I'm definitely glad I watched it, so in that sense, I would recommend at least for seeing these people together, the performances and yeah, I clearly I didn't have you know that same experience right, right. even even I like Casino fine, I really like Goodfellas, but I didn't have the same nostalgia about Joe Pesci and Robert de Niro being together again, so mm-hmm. maybe it's, maybe that's just a disconnect for me it's it's I don't have the that same emotional connection to it a lot of this felt like homework and so maybe because it was (laughs) maybe (laughs) what if you just went to the cinema and sat back and ate some popcorn did you see it at the movies no i didn't you netflixed it yeah yeah i mean that's that is another thing that if i was in a movie theater maybe i would maybe i would love it maybe probably not (laughs) (laughs) there are good things about the movie and i will watch it again someday (laughs) cool that's all i can promise all you need okay that's all i need from you nick your your bar is real low i I appreciate that (laughs) thank you for listening to happy tears happy tears is produced by nick melita and brandon henry you can find more information as well as this episode's show notes at happytearspod.com. You can also find us on all of the social media. At Happy Tears Podcast is the Instagram. There's a Facebook page, Happy Tears Podcast. And those are the main ones. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. The correct number of stars is five. Be sure to check out our Spotify playlist, Happy Tears Mixtape, and give that a follow. Uh, we throw the tracks that we talk about on the podcast or some of the ones that we recommend original theme music by homage you can check out his music at www.youtube.com slash homage beats that's all for this week farewell